Hello and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see in Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I am Ruthie cowper Samoshi. And I'm Matthew Sabone, and today we'll be talking about The Outrageous Akona. This episode was written by Les Mention, Lance Dixon, and David Landsberg, and directed by Robert Becker. It first aired on December 10th, 1988. Three writers. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that's not always a good sign. <laughs> Three writers on this one. <laughs> More the better. Yeah, not always. Yeah. Not, not always. Well, no. on that, on a, on a note similar to that, at least, uh, for today's check-in, what kinds of comedy do you like? What kind of comedy do you like, Matthew? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, actually. I think about this question. There are some things that I find, like a lot of stuff that I think I'm supposed to find funny, I I don't. Okay. I But I like comedians who have something to talk about, like something to say. Um, some of that could be like general observation about the world, but like I, I, when, the, when the criticism is important, like about mm-hmm. either speaking truth to power or yeah. or something about like the the screwed upness of the world and how we have to experience it, but putting it in, it could be dark, but in a, in a humorous way that allows the world to be more palatable. Right. You know, right. Three stand-up comedians that come to mind right now that I've watched recently that I'm like, wow, it's, they're brilliant. One was Hannah Gadsby. I saw her do Nanette, oh, her yeah. special yeah, yeah. on Netflix. And I thought it was incredible because she kind of breaks the fourth comedy or the fourth wall of comedy where all of a sudden she gets really serious with the audience. Yeah. And it's like, you just expect me to be self-deprecating and that's supposed to be funny, but I don't want to be that. I don't want to do that. Right. And you're right. like, whoa. And it's so it like kind of pokes a hole at comedy itself. And then I also watched the Netflix special Inside by Bo Burnham. Okay. Like, he is a stand-up comic, but he produced a special. Like, he literally just shot it in his house during the pandemic. Oh, okay. And he never once mentions COVID-19 the whole time, but you know why he's inside. Right. And he sort of alludes to the reason. And as well, like, he gets to a point, he actually records himself kind of almost breaking down at one point. Uh, so there are points that are funny, but there's also points that were really dark, but it had something to say. And I right. thought that that was really powerful. I also had a hard time thinking of what do I, what kind of comedy do I like? I find things funny when people are very earnest. Mm-hmm. That can sometimes be like not good because then someone's like being earnest and serious and like my instinct might be to take it as a joke. But I don't think that's what I mean. I just think that I I find things funny when when they're true and when people are speaking from their their own heart and their own experience and not trying to put like not trying to put a funny finish on something but kind of like you said like pointing out something absurd or or speaking truth to power but that truth to me is really important i do like one thing that i i really enjoy is British quiz shows and those can sometimes oh my God, be yes. like yeah <laughs> and sometimes they're you know they're, they're, they there can be offensive humor in that and I don't I don't like that but I think one of the things that I like about that is that you've got these comedians doing something else like they're they're like there's one that I um started well there's one that I started watching a long time ago called Big Fat Quiz of the Year where they just you know these comedians take a quiz every around uh the holidays and they it's about things that have happened over the year and they're 
officially there to take this quiz, but then they're just like cracking jokes and being funny as they're doing it. And I find that really funny. And I've seen like some of the comedians who do that, I've watched them do other things and I don't find those other things anywhere near as funny. But in the quiz show format, I don't know why. It's hilarious to me. Yeah, I've been I've been watching a lot of QI. Yeah. Another Br- British comedy yeah, that's a good one. quiz show. And it basically, like, QI got me through the pandemic. It was one of the shows because <laughs> I got it on, like, BritBox. Oh, yeah. Which I don't know if other people around the world have BritBox. It's for Canada to basically access, like, all British shows. Right. Again, some of them are making fun of themselves with their own kind of lack of general world knowledge. But you can also, they also learn things that are just, like, ridiculous about right. the world and make fun of that, too. And and it was just, like, such a lighthearted way to sit through. And the show was shot partly during the pandemic as well. So they have... they have No audience. They have yeah. whole episodes where there's no audience. And yeah. so you're kind of experiencing it with them and everything. And it was yeah. it was a good way to kind of get through some of the pandemic blahs. Yeah. QI has definitely been a show where I have, like, said something as a fact. And people are like, oh, really? And I'm like, well, I think it's true. I saw it on QI and... <laughs> so I but think... But they have the QI elves, right? Yeah. They, they, so they do the I research, just take the that as elves. truth. Like you said, like, you know, the idea of like speaking truth to power and like feeling safe about speaking truth to power, I do agree is very important. And I also totally agree that speaking truth to power is not the same thing as just like being offensive. Yeah. And it, I, okay. So there are a number of, of comedians that have come out recently saying that they, like, I, I am, I don't know if I'm oversimplifying this because I can't understand why they are wrestling with this so much. Right. But basically there were there were several comedians who were like, we should be able to make jokes about trans folk. Yeah. And they think that is somehow speaking truth to power. From their view, I guess they see that the power is protecting trans people. And they're like, well, we should be able to speak again. I like I don't understand why they think that this is I... like a, something they should be able to do. But I was like, how do you see that as speaking like the whole that concept of like punching up versus punching yeah. down and they can't seem to tell the difference. I don't understand that. I think you're giving too much credit to that. Probably. I think like I I think that and it comes up in this episode as well. There's a whole thing about like a guy in a dress being inherently funny and and that's problematic. And but I think that that was just something that was so just so easily accepted as humorous that you know, once people started saying like, actually, no, this is a harmful thing to joke about. People who had felt really comfortable making, I think it's it's that it's more that thing where like when you're used to privilege, any kind of boundary feels like oppression. I think it's more that yeah. it's I was always able to do this thing and now you're not letting me do it. So that must be, that must be oppression. You must be oppressing me. I, there is a great bit, uh, the British comedian James Acaster does a great bit about sort of transphobic humor and and how basically he's like, you know, because he he is a a cis uh, straight white guy as far as I know. But he he comes out and he's like, don't worry, I'm not one of those edgy comics who like makes jokes about trans people. And he says, you know, we you know, who's had too much power recently? The trans community. Right, yeah. And just like basically, <laughs> you know, oh, you brave little cis boy being transphobic. And yeah. I and I, I think that. You know, I, I appreciate that. I would appreciate it even more if people just didn't make jokes about the trans community at all. But it happened a, a while ago, too, when it was like, oh, all of a sudden we can't make sexist jokes. And then there was like this and it's still happening. But like there is a backlash against that and people being sexist and it's not really sexism. It's it's being edgy and you just don't understand how funny I am. 
I, I think this is part of the reason why I didn't find a lot of comics very funny because it was just a lot of just making fun of people. Yes. But then I got to experience some of the genius of these other comedians that I just mentioned and people who are like, they have something actually to say that has depth and they're reflecting on society and, and some of the injustices in society and be able to, to, to poke at that in a way that is brilliant and smart and intellectual. And you're like, wow, it's just, it's a whole level of comedy beyond what some of these, I guess, old guard, you could say, are arguing yeah. that is still fresh, even though it's so stale now. Like, there's nothing funny about that anymore. Yeah. Or ever was, you know, or ever was that funny. For sure. There are some shows, like TV shows or movies, that I really enjoyed as a kid that I just won't watch now because I just don't think they'll hold up. And I don't, if they are still good, then okay, I've got them as a nice memory in my mind. And if they don't hold up, I, you know, I don't need to expose myself to whatever it is that's going to offend me. So. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing that that we'll get into more in this episode, but I also want to mention now is just the idea of like people not getting humor. And sometimes that happens, like, you know, different people have different senses of humor, but also I think that that like, oh, you just don't get it is is a bit of a lazy way of just kind patronizing of patronizing. Well, it's super patronizing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's also just a way of being like, I don't have to like it couldn't possibly be that my the thing I said wasn't funny. You're just not smart enough to get it. Yeah. Who Who gets to decide what's funny? Yeah. As well. Right. Like who gets to choose what is funny and, and what isn't yeah. funny? It it does it does kind of hold a light up to where where power is held in our society and who gets to be the joke teller who gets to be the butt end of the joke yeah and also comedy I think is can be very much used as a way of dismissing important like it can it can be used to either elevate or dismiss things so yeah so totally yeah, very important for sure yeah okay should we get into this outrageous episode. <laughs> the outrageous episode. In this episode, the Enterprise rescues the captain of a broken down freighter and ends up in the middle of an interplanetary conflict. May I specify an outrageous interplanetary conflict? An outrageous interplanetary conflict. This yeah. episode is ridiculous. It's really not that good. <laughs> I remember it because I haven't watched it in a really long time. And I remember Akona himself being a fairly amusing character and... And his character is okay, but everything that happens around his arrival in the Enterprise, including the B-plot, is is really quite silly in this episode. It makes very little sense. And then as mm-hmm. you, I, f- I found as the episode kept going, it made less and less sense. And Okana, or uh, you're saying Okona. Okona? Okana? It, it looks the, like I think Akona, they say it both they in, say the sh- in the show. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. He actually is like the least outrageous piece. He seems fairly straightforward, if perhaps a little brash. But yeah, no, the situation is ridiculous. Here's an interesting fact, according to IMDb. Um, oh, yeah, The please, person who plays Okana, Okona, yep. Billy Campbell, was apparently Gene Roddenberry's first choice to play Commander Riker. Um, oh, no way. But the studio... He's got a bit of a Riker flair, too. He does, yeah. And I wonder if... I mean, obviously, he's an actor, and who knows if the way he played Riker would be similar to how he played Okana in this car- in this episode. But I just just based on seeing this episode, I think Jonathan Frakes was 
a good choice because I think that Riker definitely had the potential to be more like O'Connor and and how how Frakes played him kind of tempered him a little bit and made him to me at least a lot more likable. That's okay. Billy Campbell went on to have like I think a fairly successful career anyway. Yeah. He was the Rocket Rocket Man? Rocketeer? It was not the movie The Rocketeer. And then I most recently saw him in a show with like space zombies and stuff. All right. Anyways. So he's done. Yeah, he's done stuff. he's done things since then. All right. Well, we start off with the ship in the Omega Sagittus system. And basically what you need to know is that there are two planets. They're populated by the same species. They're at peace, but it's a sort of a precarious peace between these two planets. Right. And you should know that these humanoid species look exactly like humans. Yes. In fact, there's nothing different about them there's at all. There's nothing <laughs> different. So they come across a small cargo ship. And this it made me laugh the way they're like... It's armed with lasers. I know. They they throw so much shade at the lasers. They're like, I can't do anything. When I had silly conversations with young people, I guess some people, well, it's not like these conversations don't happen to adulthood as well. But <laughs> when we were talking about like, who would win, Star Trek or Star Wars ships against each other? We'd be like, well, Star Wars ships just use lasers. And lasers <laughs> wouldn't do anything against the Enterprise. And this is some of the evidence of that. Yeah. So there. It, the ship does look really like small and dingy and kind of run down when you see it next to the Enterprise. So they open the hailing frequencies and we're looking at like Captain O'Connor's like backside. He's kind of yeah. like hunched over and picking up like junk off the ground. Yeah. And it's the cargo carrier erstwhile. And he introduces himself again with kind of his butt facing the camera. <laughs> and he's like, he's cheeky and charming. And as he's like talking to them... The first thing they do, I, I think this is a point of being like, oh, he's he's charming, especially to the lady folk, right. is that they show Troy and she like smiles about him being sort of whimsical about his ship being broken. Yeah. He's like, well, since you scanned my ship and you know what's wrong with it, maybe you can help me fix it. Picard's almost like confused by the guy. It's kind of funny because it's <laughs> like, oh, we don't have whimsical, charming people in Star Trek. So what's what's <laughs> with this person? Counselor, can you help? Break? Why is he charming and smiley? And she has to tell the captain, because I guess they can't tell, that he's mischievous and irreverent and somewhat brazen, but he's not malevolent. And that's a great summary of his character. Yeah, he is all of those things, but not malevolent. And they they agree to, to help him. His, his guidance system is broken. So they agree to beam him on board and, and help him with the, the broken part. He hears the transporter chief's voice and he's like, oh, is that a woman's voice I hear? And like Picard and Riker both kind of look at him like, it is. Can we get on with it? It is. But then there's a, and I feel like this is actually the the B plot or maybe it's more of a runner. It's kind of hard to tell. Once they get, they tell Okana to get ready to to beam aboard, Riker's kind of laughing and Picard is like, oh, is something funny? And Riker says, well, because you know, Picard has told O'Connor, like, can you hurry up so we can get back to our normal routine? And Riker is just mm-hmm. kind of chuckling to himself because these unexpected things kind of are their normal routine. That's what Star Trek is. <laughs> yeah, One Star unexpected is. thing after another. They don't do the episodes about the normal stuff because it's literally just people sitting on the bridge for hours between stars not doing anything. <laughs> Those episodes are terrible. Yeah, no. So we get the intro and the Enterprise locks onto the Earth's while with the tractor beam. And then Lois Lane beams him on board. Lois Lane beams him aboard. Because this is Terry Hatcher and her her brief appearance in yeah. Star Trek. Uh, so she's the one to beam to beam him aboard. She will always be Lois Lane to me. Yeah, because she was in what the Lois and Clark series yeah. with, yeah, with Dean, Dean Kane. Yeah. Dean Kane. Yeah. 
so Okoda gives a Okoda Okana I should put it Okana gives a snarky kind of look at Worf because Worf is like your weapons. Yeah. And so he hands over like a gun, and then Worf like holds out his hand again, and he reluctantly like picks up this knife, and he's like, "Oh, it's more of like a piece of jewelry than anything." Yeah. And he makes a comment about like, "Oh, Worf, like." Oh, you have a Klingon for security. Like, oh, no wars to fight. Yeah. <laughs> Nowhere to be there, Klingon. Yeah. And I like actually that. So this is where he starts a relationship mm-hmm. with Wesley. Right. Because him and O'Connor probably has more conversations with Wesley than any other character. Yeah. And the first thing he does is they're like, well, please give it to the commander. It's supposed to be Data. And I, I think he does this intentionally because I think he knows that Data is probably likely the commander they're talking about because Wesley's very young. And not wearing a uniform. And not wearing a uniform. But he gives it to Wesley. Wesley anyway. Yeah. And I think that was to to form a connection with them in a way, or at least just to make Wesley kind of feel good about himself. Because Wesley seems, I think he's fascinated by Okada in a way, because he's unlike anyone else on the Enterprise he talks to. Then he starts flirting with the, the transporter chief, with Terry Hatcher. And she is, she's at first like really skeptical, but he, he wins her over. Yeah, she's like, I'm sure you say this to all the girls right, kind of thing. But he's like, I know, but it's just as real. Like, But it's the way I yeah. say it to you. <laughs> I This is when I noticed his hair, and I would like to talk about his hair a little bit. Okay, I was talking about Okana's hair. Yeah, so, okay. He's got a mullet. And I don't want to get into my personal feelings about mullets, because whether I like them or not, I feel I'm going to anger someone. And if I'm going to make someone angry, I'd rather be it be about something like I care about. And not. Okay. But <laughs> his mullet is not just any mullet. You know, the mullets are like business in the front party in the back or whatever. Well, it's more like it's tied back. But it's I think like, he's light hair. It's just tied back. Like the, the comedian we're about to be introduced to, that guy has a mullet. Okay. But when, when I saw Okana from the front, I thought he just had short hair. Okay. Fair enough. So yeah. he's got like what looks like just short hair. But then when he turned to the side, I was like, he's got a ponytail that goes halfway down his back. Yeah, does that count as a mullet? I, I mean, it's short on top and long in the back. I guess so. I guess so. It's just amazing. And there's no way. He's a beautiful man. He, He's a beautiful man. Akona. He is. And there's yeah. no way that like, if this episode of this show were made now, there's no way they would have gone with this hair. Oh, yeah. No, that's that hair is is of that time period. So for much. Sure. So much. Yeah, I don't think it'll ever come back again. Yeah. So they exit the transporter and they're they're now in the hallway and Okana tries to talk about Terry Hatcher's sex appeal. Yeah. And Data says that he's like, well, I don't know that because I'm an android. And so then he says, well, have you seen any good looking computers lately? And then explains to Data that that was a joke because Data doesn't get it, of course. And this sends Data on his whole other adventure for this episode. Data's like, oh, no, I need to understand humor. But, like, that wasn't very funny. It was probably one of the better jokes in this episode. <laughs> well, okay, that way. fair enough. Fair enough. I just, it's so funny to me that, like, and this is part of why I actually got a little frustrated sometimes because, like, there were all these jokes that Data wasn't getting. And, like... The, the jokes were mediocre at best. But they blame it on him not getting yeah, the joke. And like, yeah, like, I don't know. These the three writers couldn't come up with better jokes to be like, Data doesn't understand humor. There are funny moments in Star Trek, for sure. And a lot of them are because of Data. Like, Data's actually pretty funny. I just, I find him really funny in this episode, except when he's trying to be. Or when they're telling him how to be yeah. funny. 
On his own, he has his own charm, and he's funny. Yeah. Guinan picks up on that, but we'll get to that in a bit. They go to engineering. LaForge is fixing Okana's part, and and we see again, like, they're very jokey, and LaForge clearly feels really comfortable with him, and they're joking about, like, how he he pushes his ship to the limit, and... He's like, well... My, my life isn't as glamorous as yours, so I need to add a bit of flair yeah, to it. totally. As they're fixing his... Basically, it looks like a glass ball with spinny parts on it. And the glass is all cracked. So that just to let you know that it's broken. Again, he's in the hallway with Data. And he's, like, quizzing Data. And he's like, have you ever been cold? Have you ever been warm? Have you ever been drunk? And I, I do like this. that Data, like, specifies, like, with alcohol? No. He has been drunk off of... Weird gravity, gravity water. Gravity water. But yeah. not. And then he asks if if Data has ever experienced love. And Data's like, the act or the feeling? And then he, see, like, that's that's funny, right? But like. Yep. And then he makes this, he says this thing that is apparently a joke. He says, life is like loading twice your cargo weight onto your spacecraft. If it's canaries and you can keep half of them flying all the time, you're all right. And Data's like, what? I don't. I don't know if that's true. And he's like, what do you mean true? It's a joke. Like, It's a joke, but it's not like funny. No, it's no, it's not. It's not super <laughs> so, funny. So like if someone doesn't find it funny, that's not because they don't have a sense of humor. Hey, Ruthie. Yeah. What did the black hole say to the astronaut? I don't know. What? Why such a long face? <laughs> yeah. That's one of the dad jokes I tell during planetarium shows. All right, well, we can record a podcast together, but... <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm not coming to your shows. So Dana realizes that, or he thinks, at least anyway, there's no sense of humor. He's going to go out and deal with this in a bit. So yeah. in the meantime, Okada asks him where room 806 is and then goes in to meet with, of course, Terry Hatcher, the transporter operator. Yeah. So the door is open and it's her and she's like wearing this dress. And the one thing I notice is that the bed has no bedding on it. It's just a mattress that she's sitting on. There's no like, there's no sheets or blanket or anything. Just, she's just sitting on a mattress. It was like she booked the room or something. I don't know. Anyways, so he walks in there and Dana kind of like awkwardly watches really what's funny. going on he, like, until the door closes. In, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, so obviously they've made an arrangement. You know, she's decided she's, she's fallen prey to his charms. Back in Endearing, Wesley asks Riker, what he thinks of Okana. Yeah. And Riker's like, well, you know, he we see now he handles his ship. He knows how to handle people. He lives life by his own rules. It doesn't work for Wesley. He's like, no, I don't think I could live like that. I don't. And I mean, it's, it is interesting because I, I feel like they could have done almost like a make it sort of competitive between Riker and Okana. Like, because Riker does have a little bit of that piece of his personality. Um, and I'm glad they didn't because that would have been really tiresome. It would have been a more interesting episode if it was like Wesley finds an alternate role model oh, okay. in Okana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they the episode was actually about Wesley and, and Okana. That would have been far more interesting than what ends up happening. I, because the, the parts that I thought were, were the most interesting were, were Wesley reflecting on his conversations with Okana and, and comparing that like lifestyle to what he sees everyone else in the Enterprise. Living. That would have been a much more interesting direction to take yeah. this episode. But I mean, that's a low bar to... <laughs> Across, I, I, I know. <laughs> but no, it's know. it's true. I I agree with you. I hadn't thought of that. But I'm just glad that they it didn't turn into like you know who can out ladies man the other. Yeah, that would have been like I. That it, been it's bad. actually kind of kind of nice that Riker was also kind of charmed by Okana because I think he realizes, and maybe that's what they're trying to say, 
I could have been that guy, or I rec- I respect that life because I understand that I could have done that, yeah. but that's not what I want to do. Yeah. That's not who I've, I've chosen to be here with this family. And I think that's the point they're trying to make is that he lives alone. And that's the part that Wesley doesn't really understand. Yeah. He's like this life by himself. Yeah. So if you're, if you're looking for advice on the Enterprise and you want to deal with a personal crisis, where do you go, Ruthie? Well, if you don't want to go to the ship's counselor... You go to the right. bar. <laughs> you go to the bar. You, you go, go to, to the see bar. Guinan. You go to see right. Guinan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Data is talking with Guinan about how he doesn't understand humor. She's, I think, actually being like quite kind with him. She's like, "I never said you're missing anything or there's anything wrong with you. I'm just saying I've never seen you laugh." Which is clearly like he asked her about this. There's no way she just brought this up out of out of nothing, right? Like, right. He must have asked her, and and he says that he can laugh when it's expected of him but he doesn't laugh as like a uh, an automatic response to finding something funny and then Guinan makes a joke she says you're a droid and I'm annoyed I'm annoyed yeah in Star Trek they don't refer to androids as droids that is very much a Star Wars thing this is like the only time but also the and so the annoyed is a play on the finding something annoying versus being a humanoid. Yeah, it's also not a very good joke. It isn't. But you know what is really funny? <laughs> is when, is the exchange that happens after. Where Data's like, maybe the joke wasn't funny. And she's like, no, no, it's you, Data. And he's like, are you sure? And she says yes. And then he goes, I agree. And he's got, like, <laughs> Brent Spiner is really funny. He is, yeah, he's a he's funny guy. He's really good at making Data funny by accident or like doing that kind of earnestness that I find really enjoyable. So like that is really funny. And there, it, like to me, I'm like watching this and I'm like, Data, you don't have to try so hard to be funny. You are funny. You just need to like figure out what it is about you that's already funny and then do that on purpose. Yeah, which which makes sense. That's actually good advice. Yeah. But that's not what happens. No. Because now Data goes to a holodeck and puts himself in a 1980s comedy club, like completely out of the context of normal life. Totally, yeah. I do, there is one like part where he's he's asking the computer like who's the funniest and the computer says something about like some 23rd century mathematical humor and he's like, no, that's too esoteric. But like, that would probably been hilarious. Probably been really, I, I mean, I'm a math nerd and I love math jokes, but I get that they're not for everyone. <laughs> but but like, yeah, that would have that probably would have been a lot funnier than the this unfortunate mix of like, I don't know, stuff. It's like a Jerry Lewis impression that verges into like it, it comes really close to transphobia and fat phobia and. I don't know. They give Data these fake teeth yeah. and then they try to get him like with doing this kind of... It's it's cringy. It's not... It's not funny. But what was funny was then Data starting to talk with the fake teeth in his mouth. Yeah. And, and so if the comic after they... The comic realizes that he thinks Data's kind of a lost yeah. cause. He's like, hey, listen, Data, have you ever think about like juggling? And Data explains that he doesn't want to be an entertainer. So this comedian who the holodeck has produced to train Data. Yeah. He's like a comedian in real life, is he not? This guy? They wanted to get Jerry Lewis or they thought about actually getting Jerry Lewis to come in, but then they got Joe Piscopo instead. He was on Saturday Night Live. Like he's done. He is a he is a comedian. Oh yeah, cast on Saturday Night Live. So I wonder if this was a big deal that he was on the show. The one thing I do kind of like is when when Data says, like, no, I don't I don't need to learn how to do something else. I want to understand what's funny because I want to join in. Like, he just wants to be included in the humor. 
Right, which is a contrast to being an entertainer. He's not yeah. looking to be an enter- like a robot entertainer who can juggle. Right. He wants to – this is a way for him to connect with people. And I just I, – I, I found that really like almost heartbreaking in a sense because I do think that yeah. comedy is a way in which, you know, we determine who's part of the in-group and who like who's in on the joke. Right. And who who doesn't get it and is therefore not included. Yeah. Like you've got a whole group of people laughing and one person isn't. That one person generally doesn't feel very good in that moment. Then another thing that I, again, found really funny is that the the comic starts telling jokes and Data like tells the computer to do it faster. And so we get it like sped up in a little chipmunk type voice. Which That's how I was watching it already. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought that was funny for me because I was watching the episode at like 1.5 speed on Netflix. And then it was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, I get three. <laughs> uh, so then we we go back to 10 forward and Data is like telling Guinan a joke with a cigar and he's doing the like comedy arm movements. And to me, the re- like they Guinan says that it doesn't work and she says it might have been the timing. But I feel like the the main reason it isn't funny is that this isn't genuine Data. Right? Like it feels fake. And she's like, yeah, it might be your timing. And then he's like, my timing is digital. And then she laughs and he doesn't understand why that's funny. But it was. It was like, that funny. was really and funny. And it's, it's like he's being earnest. He's, he's being, being himself. Yeah, yeah, he's being himself. Before he gets a chance to tell another joke, Picard calls Data to the bridge. We're back in the A plot. <laughs> There's another ship that has now arrived and it locks phasers or lasers. Locks, locks lasers. lasers on the Enterprise. And then Picard says again, he's like, they can't even penetrate our navigational shields. And and again, throwing shade at laser yeah. cannons. He's, he's like, well, you know, let's go. Because the regulations say they go to yellow alert. So he's like, okay, let's go to yellow alert and let's drop our shields in case we need to surrender to them. So like, it must have been intentional. Like there are moments throughout this episode where characters are just being kind of funny. The ship doesn't respond to hails at first, but then eventually hails them. And so we have Debon of Planet Atlic who orders them to prepare to be boarded. And they're like, okay. Because Picard points out to Riker, he's like, well, we are in their solar system. So uh, I can understand why. <laughs> even though this seems a bit, this seems a bit over ambitious for them. Yeah, Riker even makes a comment about like Gulliver's yes, travels. Yeah, that is funny. That's it funny is, too. Yeah, and then basically Debin wants Okana and he says that he's guilty of crimes, but, but won't specify which ones. And uh, Picard checks in with Troy and Troy says that Devin believes what he is saying. Like he, he's not lying. So whatever, whatever happened or didn't happen, Devin believes that Okana did commit whatever these crimes are. Another ship hails them, and it's a security vessel from planet Stralib. Yes. And Worf calls it a globfly. Yes, which then prompts Data to do an impression of a Klingon globfly, and he almost starts buzzing, which again would have been really funny. So Secretary Kushel of Strelib introduces himself. A younger man stands behind him, and Kushel also wants Okana, and doesn't care that Debit also wants him, and he says that he's prepared to die to trying to bring him in. I found that also like just so silly. Like I'm, I I know that I totally you I'm totally outmatched, but I don't care. I'm gonna fight, and if I end up dying, well then I end up dying. Like, and Picard's like, well maybe we can avoid that. Yeah, it seems a little extreme. So he's like, everyone just kind of calm down. Yeah. Picard calls O'Connor to the bridge and he doesn't respond. But then Worf says that there's reports that he's been in three different crew quarters. Yeah. 
which obviously you know what he's doing. Yep. And so Worf goes to get him. And there's like this moment of intensity. He's like walking down the hallway. There's this intense music. Yeah. The camera's like pointed up at him from the floor. It was just kind of exaggerated. Worf finds him in this person's quarters and he's like... Po- point out the fact that he doesn't like knock no, no. or ring the chime or anything. He just walks into this person's That's quarters. That's true, yeah. Luckily they are like... Clothed. clothed and just like making out but still and okana is like no no i you don't need me that can wait um and then Worf kind of yells at him and gets like right up okana gets like right up in his face looking like kind of cheeky yeah and he's like you would like that wouldn't you Klingon, or whatever yeah. and he's like i would but i have my orders he doesn't quite say what it is that Worf <laughs> yeah. would like good old brawl it could be a brawl could be i mean maybe he wants to make out with Worf too maybe yeah yeah that might be the case could be so anyway, finally, like, Oka- Worf brings Okana to the bridge and he says to Picard, this is Fadian Okana. And a lot of the time, like, when Picard especially says Okana, I think he's saying O'Connor. That's just an aside. I remember when I was younger, I thought that that's what the character was. Oh, like O'Connor? Was. Like, but, yeah. Yeah. It might be the way it's pronounced, but. So Okana thinks he's in trouble for socializing with the crew. And Picard points out, he's like, hey, you're allowed to socialize with whoever you want. Yeah. But you might be here under false pretenses, almost as a way to, to as sanctuary, because you know these people are after you. Yeah. And it's interesting. I, so I watched this episode. I always watch episodes like a, a few times before we record. And I think when I first watched the episode, Okana said that he, he doesn't know or he can't say why Devin or Kushel are after him. I thought he was like lying or like, you know, just not. Like saying like I can't say because he he, he didn't want to bring get the enterprise involved. But actually, like the most recent time I was watching it, I was thinking, I think actually he doesn't really know why he is being pursued right now. Because the conflict that comes up and what we see with Yanar and Benzan and all of that, I, I don't think he's aware that he has been accused of the things he has been accused of. So when he says, I can't say. That's quite possible, I, yeah. I, I wonder if there's, it's actually like, I don't actually know why Debin and Kushal want me. He might also have to wait for them to levy the charges and what's been going on, because we're about to find out what all of that is. Yeah, so Picard calls for Debin on the viewer, and he's like, okay, listen, I know it's not my business what Okana did, but if you want me to give him to you, you have to tell me. And so Debin brings out his daughter, who is pregnant. And she's been dishonored. Well, I mean, Devin seems more upset that he has been dishonored. Right. Which basically gets rid of any potential sympathy I would have had for him. But O'Connor, like, kind of rolls his eyes and shakes his head when he sees that this is the issue. Right. And there's, like, there's a nice moment between Troy and Riker where they just sort of look at each other kind of, kind of quietly, like, oh, I see. But it's one of those moments where it's like you can feel a little bit of their history. And I'm glad that they bring up here that his response to what's happening is like archaic because yes. Troy actually says all oh, these ancient codes might seem meaningless to us. Yeah. They are real to Debon and he will fight and risk himself, his crew and his daughter and her unborn child. Yeah. And Okana agrees. Yeah. So it's uh, Troy saying like, we don't agree with this, but whatever we choose to do, we do need to know that like Debon is going to make a choice that's going to affect not just us and not just him, but he's going to put all these other people in danger. Kushel from from the other ship hails again. They go in like a Zoom conference. It's a, mode. it's a total Zoom call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that too. <laughs> they can all see each other. He calls it conference mode, but yeah, it's like the same thing yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah. So Kushel says that Okana has stolen the jewel of Thessia 
And Devin says that doesn't matter as much as the victimization of his daughter and his honor. Yeah. And so Kushel says that Okada used his son, Benzan, to become his friend. And and that's why he wanted to just befriend him in order to steal his jewel. But the son keeps, like, interrupting him and, like, grabbing his dad's arm. Yeah. And I at first you just think maybe he's, like, embarrassed by his yeah. dad's outrage. And also you can tell that, uh, well, it's, it's quite clear that Kushel and Devin really don't like each other. Like, they're yelling at each other. To the like uh, until Picard is like okay mute mute them and then they like keep yelling at each other but we can't hear them. Picard eventually just hangs up on them and is like I can't can't deal with this right now. O'Connor, let's go talk. I love that he sits there and thinks about it for a moment yeah. though. Like he mutes the call and then he's kind of standing there like am I going to actually get, like engage back with this conversation <laughs> and then he's like no and he just like cuts them off. Doesn't say bye. Just like disconnects yeah. and I was like yeah go you. I, we should all be allowed to do that with our Zoom for calls. sure. Just be like at the end. Uh, no out. <laughs> I'm out. Done. I'm done. Nope. Yeah. Picard wants more information from Okana. So he they talk with him in the ready room. And Picard's not worried about his own ship, obviously. And, and Okana says that. He's like, they can't do anything right. to you anyways. But he doesn't know what to do with them without someone getting hurt. Okana agrees. So he's thinking. And now this probably lends more to your theory that he actually didn't know what was going on before. So he just found out too. Yeah. And so he's trying to figure out what what is the next course of action. He wants to make things easier. And he actually touches his jacket yeah. here at one point. And you're like, oh, now that I've seen the episode, I'm like, oh, I see what yeah. that's supposed to be now. But he says that he didn't steal the jewel and that the issue with Demon and, and the daughter is between him and Yanar is her name. Yeah. So he's like, that that issue is between us. Yeah. And Picard is like, listen, I, I mean, he doesn't say it in so many words, but he's basically like, I don't care. Right? He's like, he, he's what he says is, I don't have the authority to judge and it's not my job to arbitrate but what I I feel like what he means is like I really don't care I just have to figure out what to do with you. yeah exactly and so Okana suggests well why don't you just do what you said you would do repair the guidance system and let me go like I'll, I'll just right. leave Picard says that would make sense that's kind of according to Starfleet regulation that is kind of what I should do but the other ships will catch you. And Okana is like, yeah, that's okay. I can take care of myself. I'll take care of myself. So we're back in engineering and, o- and Okana is in a hurry to leave. We see him fiddling with the jewel. Yeah. And then Wesley wonders if Okana is ever going to stay somewhere. Yeah. And he just says, like, I couldn't live like that. It would be too... And But Wesley says it would be too hard for me to be leaving all the time, be leaving somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. And, and Okana, he makes a comment about, like, how places have a tendency or like he has a tendency to use up a place and Wesley's like, I'm not talking about places. Right. And that's a really good distinction that Wesley makes. There. Yeah. yeah. I, this, it's funny. I, I don't know when the last time was that I saw this episode. It must've been a long time ago, but this scene was very clear in my mind. This, this scene between Wesley and O'Connor, something about it makes O'Connor realize something and he decides on a new plan. So he's not going to just, leave but he does this is funny he like leaves it's funny before yeah. just like here's your guidance system and he's like oh like you said what's the rush and he doesn't even take it so like LaForge is still just holding this guidance system then LaForge like turns around and just gives like this glare over to Wesley and <laughs> what did you do the guy was on his way out the door and now he's decided to stay here and it's your fault but I'm still responsible for this guidance system that <laughs> Yeah, he's just standing there. It's not, by the way, the glass isn't cracked yeah, anymore. And it has welcome. a thing turning, so we know we know it's working now. Yeah. So back on the bridge, Okada tells Picard that he's decided to surrender himself 
to Devin because given the choices, like that's yeah. obviously one of the better ones. Um, so Picard suggests that Devin and Cushel they beam up, they go to the conference room, and they're gonna all meet there in person. When Benzin, Benzan, and Yanar, uh, when they first see each other, they kind of look at each other and then avert their eyes, and that kind of continues for a while. They sort of give each other these sort of guilty look. Yeah. And so then O'Connor says, you know, like, yeah, like you said, given the two options, condemned as a thief or marrying Yanar, he'll get married. It sounds better, like a better, better choice. Better option. And Benzan starts to get really upset. And Kushel is also upset, but for very different reasons. Parenting, obviously, is a big responsibility. Making a child is a big responsibility and not one that I think if someone gets pregnant and then and you are partially responsible for that and then you just kind of leave and don't offer any support, like that's... That's not a good thing. I feel like I could have a lot of compassion for Devin, but he is so focused on his honor that it just makes me angry. And I think this is what Troy is meaning when she said earlier about this sort of archaic ways of things. Like someone's pregnancy is not, you're not dishonored. It's not, yeah. It's not, and it's also not even like her honor. Like he's worried about his own honor. His own, yeah. It's pretty selfish. And here's where like just everything starts to fall apart. So... Yanar is like, she gets upset and she's like, fine, I will marry Okana. And then Benzan says that Okana actually is not a thief. And he explains that he took the jewel of Thesea and he was going to give it to Yanar as a pledge of marriage. And it turns out that right. he is the father of the child. Yanar let Debin believe that Okana was the father to avoid a war because she's like, well, if you knew that it was Benzan, the, the son of your worst enemy, you would have gone to war over it. And this is where I'm like confused. I'm like, but now he won't go to war over it? <laughs> yeah, I guess because they had a chance to talk it out in person or something. And Ben Dan says the same. He's like, well, if I let you believe that Okana was a thief and that I hadn't given the jewel over, that you wouldn't have gone to war either. So apparently both of them were trying to avert a war. Yeah, and like being disowned. And and poor Okana got wrapped up in the middle just because he has a bad rep. Yeah, and, and then we get the, like, I like this moment where Troy like, kind of whispers to Picard, okay, now we're getting at the truth here. So like, yeah, we're the truth, uh, which yeah. I think is, I do appreciate because like there could have just been layers upon layers of lying. And luckily Troy is there to be like, okay, no, we're here. It is. This is, this is real. When all of this is revealed, Yanar is like, well, it's too late. I am going to marry Okana anyway. And I was like, wait, what? Why would you still, why would you marry this guy if it was all just like pretense? It's, like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's really weird because like, Basically, it's, okay, here's my understanding of what happened. Okana has the jewel. Benzan gave it to him. He was supposed to deliver it to Yanar, but his ship broke down and that's where the Enterprise found him. As that was happening, Debin and Kushel got upset for their respective reasons. This is what I think happened. So he never got a chance. So much drama, Yeah, Ruby. and he, so never, drama. he never got a chance to deliver the jewel. And, and now she's like, well, it's too late. I'm not going to marry Benzan. And I just don't understand why she's so upset. Yeah, but also why would she then say, okay, well, I'm going to marry Okada. Yeah, no, like, you don't have to marry anybody. Really, like, it doesn't make any sense. It's really weird. And then we just cut back to the holodeck where Data is bringing Guinan to meet the comic. And he's got his debut. He's going to like perform now. He tells the comic that like his joke didn't go well, but maybe he needs an audience. Yeah. So this is what he's going to do. He creates this audience. It looks... It looks like a Jerry Seinfeld audience. It really does. Yeah. So Okoda talks to Yanar and acknowledges that she is angry and that none of this is 
obviously romantic, but says that she shouldn't give up on her love for Ben Zan. Yeah, just because her parents are ridiculous doesn't mean she has That they to don't be. know how to behave yeah, properly. I do like that. <laughs> I like that. Which is true. That is, that is very true. And he, for like the last six months, he had been smuggling like each of them back and forth uh, into each other's homeland and carrying messages between the two of them. And so Yanar says like, yes, I do love Ben Zan and it is our child. Let's get married. And then Okana tosses the jewel to Benzan and he gives it, he gives it to Yanar. And it's like, well, this would be a happily ever after, except now the dads have to argue over where they're going to live. Which I guess is still a step down from interplanetary yes, war. So that's it good. is. But Picard is basically like, well, this is clearly between you two. I'm out. We're out. We're out of <laughs> here now. He's a, Picard's like, I've done my diplomatic due diligence. Yeah. It's time to leave. Yeah. Back on the holodeck, the comic introduces Data to his holographic audience. Yeah, it's cool. He's like putting a tux on top of his uniform. I thought that was cute. Data does like these kind of like just silly gag jokes. Yeah. And a little bit of physical comedy and the audience is loving it. Backstage, Guinan is questioning. He's, she looks at the comic and she's like, you make a living off this? Which is funny because Whoopi Goldberg did stand-up comedy also. Did she? Yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah, know. So okay, so it's like a, that's like an inside joke. That's pretty yeah. funny. And so then Data starts to realize though that the audience is actually laughing at like anything he does. So like if he doesn't finish a joke or if he like just lifts his arm like that, they just crack up over that. So he, and then he like starts to tell jokes in just like his normal voice, which I actually think is a lot funnier. <laughs> like yeah. he doesn't have his Jerry Lewis voice, but he's just like, oh, then there was the one about the human cannon who was hired and fired. Yeah. Same. Like it's just, just more earnest. And eventually he just turns off the audience and also the comic and he's like never mind so Guinan says that laughing and making people laugh is not the be-all and end-all of being human and data agrees and says but there's nothing more uniquely human and i said that's not true yeah there's lots of species that laugh and have humor it's like it's one thing that he thinks is uniquely difficult for him to understand or to connect with humans about yeah this is another moment where i feel the word human isn't quite right like, mm -hmm. I, I think it's it's more that it's something, like, with being alive or being, like, a, a person as opposed to an android or being organic as opposed to to not. I, I also, like, I disagree. I think it it is one way in which perhaps he might have trouble connecting, but it's not the only kind of connection. Yeah, exactly. And, but it's... This is like a one sticking point about Data and his evolution. And it ends up becoming a really important one later. Yeah. Like post-Star Trek TV series. Yeah, 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 But it ends up being like the catalyzing force as to why he decides to try to have emotions yeah. at all. I do want to just point out that this is the first episode of the season where Pulaski has not been getting on my nerves about Data not being because she's not here she's this not episode. in the episode <laughs> but like everyone else is giving or not everyone else but like the whole episode is giving data a hard time yeah people do tend to give data a hard yeah. time yeah sometimes you're like ah maybe these aren't the best representatives of humanity at times yeah. and i think it's just sometimes the writing is not, not super great yeah. maybe grasping our own humanity is, is just difficult hard, for us it's too hard to do so then we're back on the bridge they're sort of sending okana off on his way you know one thing i did find kind of uh, funny to think about with this episode is like it, it was kind of complicated to use the tractor beam and to like match up speeds but then like later on in the series it's just like all right set the tractor beam okay go like yeah, i noticed that too like they pad the episode with the external sequence of like the ships moving into place yeah. and everything they don't do that later it's just, yeah, just, track, just engage tractor done. beam yeah 
so they so now they like they make a big deal kind of out of Okana like well I'm flying under my own power now and then he gives like a thumbs up um then they say goodbye and Wesley says say goodbye data and data says goodbye data and everyone laughs Picard's like let's just get out of here and that's sort of they warp off and that's the end of the episode and that's it (laughs) this episode is ridiculous it is it is outrageous in fact Thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at NathanNunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at FirstLinkPod, or you can send us an email at FirstLinkPod at gmail.com and tell us... What kinds of things you find funny? I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. Hey, Ruthie. Yeah. Did you know that Orion ordered his belt off Amazon? Oh, no. What rating did he give it? Three stars. Three stars. (laughs) 